Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Cow Corner. We are here to review the second test between Sri Lanka and England, an excellent test match. Uh, plenty of news coming out of that, plenty of things to discuss, especially ahead of England's first test against India in a few weeks. Um, I'm joined this week by Zach in Leeds. How are you? I'm good, yeah. We've we've not had snow in Leeds over the weekend like lots of people in the South have, but obviously we had snow a couple of weeks ago and the amount of snow we have compared to the amount of snow people have down south is, is quite a big difference, but everyone down south seems to post about it more because <laughs> in the north, that's just winter. Were you happy to give the southerners this one, let them have this snow day and just say, we'll, we'll get more in the future? Is that it? Yeah, it's just, yeah, you kind of, I feel like in the south you get, you get one day of snow and then it disappears and you don't have any of the, you know, icy problems for the next couple of days that are the, the downside. So it's a bit of a, it's a bit annoying because we had it a couple of weeks ago and it was, you know, four days of you can't really drive on our, on like on the roads, on the local roads because it's just so much ice. But in the south, it's one day you get to have your fun and then it's gone. Yeah. And they're, and they're out in their Range Rovers, you know, the big dogs are out, you know, everyone's having a great time. Um, And Glenn in Wyoming, should we have this snow chat or is it just a given over there? No. <laughs> and there we go. Uh, that's the panel for today. Um, and we'll start with some news. There's been plenty since we were last on. Um, I'll come to you, Zach, first. The BBL has just finished the group stage. Um, I-, I haven't followed that closely, to be honest. It's on a little bit early for my liking. And as listeners know, I'm not, you know, I'm not out of bread too early in the morning at the minute. Um, so give us a little summary of what's happened, who's qualified, uh, who's playing well. I am seeing a lot of Alex Hale's chat. Maybe we can come on to this in a second. But Zach, give us your little summary of the BBL. Yeah, so we had a we had a mega day of BBL action. It is it is well, what is you know it's, uh, by some quarters referred to as Australia Day today in Australia, but that's a contentious issue that we're not going to cover on the podcast. But what that <laughs> does mean, the twenty sixth of January in Australia means that there's lots of BBL action, and it worked perfectly the day as it was the end of the group stages. We had three games today. First of all, we had one game yesterday that was the Sydney Thunder, which is Alex Hales' team, against uh, the Adelaide Strikers, which is the, basically the Sussex of the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> and Alex Hales smashed another 50 to, to you know, uh, win the chase for the Sydney Thunder. They were only chase, they were chasing something around 100. In, it was a 14-over reduced uh, game. And then it meant that, they, guaranteed, they were guaranteed third place and the, and the strikers were in 
They were in fourth place at that point, but it meant they had to wait and faced a nervous wait to see if they could hang on to the qualifying spot because it was so close. Even though we said earlier that it might be a case of because there's all these extra points, it might be that the group becomes more fractured. It was actually so tight and seven teams were in it until the final day. And then today we had the first game that was about started about 1 a.m. UK time. So I didn't catch that one was the Scorchers versus the Heat. And then the Heat won, moving them up to fourth spot and making them guaranteed for qualification uh, but the scorchers would have confirmed top spot if they had if they'd won but they couldn't do that which meant the sixers only needed one point today later on to guarantee that and it's very confusing <laughs> but, uh, gregory hit 36 from 23 no, overnight no, no one no one, no one asked for the gregory update zach sorry <laughs> lavish chain took a three for and joe denley also bowled two overs for 15 which is great he didn't take any wickets but the economy was good the second game of the day saw the woeful, woeful renegades against the Hurricanes, who needed a win to qualify. And it would have put them up to fourth and would have knocked out the Adelaide Strikers. The Renegades were 49 for four after nine overs, but the Hurricanes somehow let them get to 150. It didn't seem that much, but uh, the Hurricanes just really stumbled and stuttered towards it. David Milan, his strike rate was a real issue and Will Jacks continued to suffer like he has done throughout the tournament. I think he's hit 95 runs in nine innings. It's not been good for him, but he's a young guy and I, like, I hope for more, but yeah. And then that meant that in the final game, because this, it meant the Hurricanes were out and the Renegades were out, even though the Renegades won because they've just been so bad. And it meant that the Stars, in that last game, it was the Stars versus the Sixers. The Sixers were second in the league, needing just the one point. And obviously, you get one point for the bash boost point to get top spot, which meant they had a home final rather than going away to Perth. And Perth are unbelievable in Perth. So you don't want to play them in Perth because, you know, the bouncing pitches. And uh, Perth's got just had the best bowling attack in the tournament, hands down. So you don't want that. So it meant they only needed one point. But the Stars needed all four points. They had to win on the 10-over mark and win overall. And even some even some fireworks from Maxwell and a bit of a top-order collapse from, from the Sixers couldn't stop um, the Sixers getting that bash boost point. With a really good innings from James Vince, actually, who's kind of gone under the radar during this tournament. He hit 46 from 32, which obviously it's not the most explosive innings, but when they needed, they just needed to get to the 72 mark on the 10-overs, which meant uh, the game was over at the 10 over mark, but it didn't stop Dan Christian from just deciding to win the game for the Sixers overall in the end, hitting 49 from 29. And his strike rate for the tournament is still over 200 at this point. It's been it's been a lot of good cricket going on. Dan Christian, a great name, still doing well. Good to see some English boys doing well. And, and my favourite tweet of the week was from Ben Jones, suggesting that this tournament from Alex Hales should give him an IPL contract. It probably will. And that if he signs the KKR, he'll be under Morgan's captaincy. And I think we'd all like to see KKR then go on and win that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice to see all the English teams. It's interesting to see that the the two teams, well, the two Melbourne teams, uh, both didn't have any English players and they both didn't qualify for the finals. So that's you great, know, that's a great take. That is Zach. That's a great little spin zone there. We you need a few English players in, otherwise you're not going to qualify. I've seen a few people angry that top five out of eight qualify, and I think I'm there on that. It makes the whole regular season seem kind of pointless but uh, we'll have a full review part of the BBL coming up in a couple of weeks once the postseason's finished um, and we'll, we'll have a bit more of a chat about that and, and the wider implications on cricket um, and there's a lot of international cr cricket going on at the minute um, most of the international sides are playing we've got the West Indies over in Bangladesh a pretty sad series to be honest um, 
we spoke about the West Indies not taking a full squad, a lot of them putting out for personal reasons and with COVID issues. So they've been done 3-0 in Bangladesh in the ODI series. There were two tests to come as well. Um, Shakib Al-Hassan, who's back from his ban, took four for eight off 7.2 uh, in the first ODI. And then, you know, the West Indies are unrecognisable. Jason Mohammed is in their batting lineup, And I thought he presented final score in the UK, but clearly he's <laughs> he's also... Um, got West Indies, uh, you know, heritage and is a decent middle-order batsman, apparently. But, uh, yeah, you know, don't hold back on trying to watch that series. We'll keep you up to date. That's probably all you need to know. Um, uh, and, Glenn, uh, Afghanistan have been playing Ireland uh, in a one-day series over in Afghanistan. What's been going on over there? Yeah, so it's just wrapped up. Yesterday was the was the third of the three ODIs in Abu Dhabi, and it was, it was a whitewash for Afghanistan, who played really well. Um, unfortunate for Ireland, um, interestingly, um, Paul Sterling, who got two consecutive hundreds, batted brilliantly throughout the series. He was player of the series. And then yesterday in the final game, which Afghanistan won by 36 runs, Rashid Khan was um, player of the match. Obviously a player we're all familiar with. But something I like to point out is that he's only 22. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was at least mid-20s by now. It's mm. ridiculous um, how long he's been playing. You're talking about IPL. He's done well for um, in, in the... T20 domestic league in England. Uh, he really is a fantastic player, um, and obviously he can do it as we all know on the international level as well. And you imagine he'll be doing it for another decade or so. Um, so a shame for Ireland, who who just always seem to be in a perpetual stage of transition. I feel whenever we mention them <laughs> yeah. on the pod, it's it's disappointment for them. But Sterling played well. Um, yeah, but in terms of takeaways from them, it was just a shame they couldn't get you know even one win to make it two one, but comfortable victory in the end for Afghanistan. And Afghanistan showing themselves to be a real, you know, cricketing nation now that are up there with the big boys. I know Ireland aren't, the, you know, I think you make a good point, Glenn. Perpetual transition, but a 3-0 whitewash shows where they are now, really, isn't it? Yeah, and, and Rashid Khan is a is a senior player in this team. If you look at the ages of the other players, Majib is 19 still. And <laughs> Gurbaz, who scored a century in the first in, in his first ODI and in the first game, is 19 as well. Naveen Al-Haq, who... So the, the three players who took wickets in this in this for Afghanistan: Naveen Al Huk, twenty-one; Majib, nineteen; and Rashid Khan, twenty-two. I think you know they're gonna become better and better as these players get older. They just they need to fill in around them and get some more experience. And I think they they're a, they are a real force. We've said they're Dan just said they're a proper international team now and more and more experience. A lot of their players are playing in the leagues around the world, and that's only going to help them grow cricket in Afghanistan. Absolutely, and, and keep an eye out for them, you know, in the World T20 as well, which is coming up at the end of the year. Um, South Africa are in Pakistan for the first time since 2007, I believe. Um, first test match, well, we're on the end of day one on the day of recording today. Um, an interesting one, 14 wickets fell. Uh, South Africa bowled out for 220, which looked way under par. Um, couldn't get any partnerships going. And then Pakistan closing on 33 for four. Um, with, uh, you know, Babar Azam falling, um, Azhar Ali still in there, but Rabada picked himself up two wickets. Uh, Glenn, you said you tried to watch a bit of that and you managed not to catch a single of the 14 wickets today in your half an hour or so of watching. 
Yeah, I timed it beautifully. I watched the last half hour just before lunch. Um, what was that about? Midnight for uh, for me in Wyoming, I think. And yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, so Tim, our Southern correspondent, texted me. He watched the, the last session and he was just mentioning how exciting it was. And it was obviously like we'd watch different games because the pitch for me in that half an hour was pretty stable. I mean, nothing much was happening. Um, Pakistan were rotating their spinners who were bowling very nicely. Um, Fahim was, was tying up the other end, but by no means was it a pitch or I thought even eight wickets would fall on one day. Um, and can I just point out, is there anything sadder in cricket than the night watchman getting out? I feel like that is a real sad moment for everyone involved. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually think it's one of my favourite things in cricket. And I, <laughs> I, I always wonder and I always think, are they going to send out a second night watchman or are they going to send out another batsman? I always hope they send out a second night watchman and we just see how many night watchmen can get out before the close but unfortunately they sent out Fawad Alam pod favorite today <laughs> I love that I love the idea of doubling down on night watchmen I wish we had like a, a stat man like they do on test match first and we could just ask now has there ever been you know back-to-back night watchman a triple night watchman imagine for England if at the uh, batting uh, you know the last week at partnerships Root and Stokes or something because they've just put everyone in before <laughs> and it was just a terrible terrible collapse Maybe we'll see that in India. Who knows? Um, great segue then to uh, the main story we're chatting about for the rest of this podcast, which is to review uh, the second test between Sri Lanka and England. Uh, finished a couple of days ago now over in Gaul. A fantastic series. Another fantastic test match that took, you know, quite a few swings really as to who was, you know, ahead. It was very 50-50 coin toss, sort of who's going to do this. And then Sri Lanka sort of collapsed on day four, unfortunately. Um, quick summary, if you didn't watch this, uh, Sri Lanka's first things of 381 was decent on a very flat pitch. It didn't really turn until sort of you know, midway of day two, whereas we saw it turn from day one um, and the first test, it wasn't turning too soon. Uh, Matthews uh, with 110, that was a lovely knock. And Dick Weller's 92. I really wanted to see him get a ton, but he didn't. Um, we'll, we'll come on to chat about him a little bit. He's, he's done a lot of chatting this week. Uh, so 381 was responded to by England with 344. Um, Joe Root's 186. What a series he's had, and we'll come on to chat about him. Uh, was supported with Joss Butler's 55, and Don Bess is very useful, 32. Uh, so, you know, a decent, a very decent reply. Um, any innings lead in this in this game looked important. Uh, unfortunately, Shranka didn't, well, from Shranka's perspective, didn't capitalise on that. Uh, 112. 126 all out uh, in a quite astounding inning, sort of akin to their first in the first test. Uh, a quite amazing collapse. Um, all wickets falling to spin. Leach with four, best with four, and Root with two at the end, um, turning his arm over uh, and no scores of any note. Well, Emble Denny is 40, was very useful. And that left England 164 to get. And again, this, the game still looks finely, finely poised at this point. Uh, but they got there in the end, winning by six wickets. A vital partnership between... Dom Sibley and a very informed Joss Butler got them over the line. Uh, a useful 29 as well from Johnny Bairstow. Uh, in a historic six-wicket win, um, another victory for England away from home. That's five in a row now for Joe Root. Another whitewash of Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka. Lots of very positive things for, for a side that are trending at the minute. They're, they're on an upward curve, one would say. Uh, it seems and feels like that anyway. And I think we have to start on that note with Joe Root's batting. And then we'll come on to his captaincy as well. Um, 186 in, in the first innings, following the double 100 in the first test, averaging 106 of the series. He takes home the Moose player of the series, as well as the Moose Cup for England, more all importantly. And, uh, you know, I don't want to dwell on this for too long because there's been a lot said about Joe Root and we kind of run out of superlatives. But 
how good Glenn was this innings um, and how good was this, you know, captain's performance from Joe Root as well. Yeah, it was remarkable, wasn't it? Um, to get those big, big scores in this series. Um, we're just all so impressed with him. Um, it's the first time he's got consecutive hundreds in matches ever, which is very interesting. Uh, and he just looks so classy. And he was just, I think what was really interesting for us, for the commentators, was that golfing class between Root and the rest of the team. Without Root, um, it's easy to, you know, maybe glorify one player in every game. But in this example, especially without him, I can't see England winning, especially the the second test. Uh, he just got such a huge portion of those runs. Um, interestingly, he played 220 consecutive sweep shots um, between dismissals, which is pretty extraordinary. It was the first time since August 2017 that he got out um, by playing a sweep. So he really is. He's got the he's got the shot selection to to really make it count, and I think that's going to obviously be a massive factor in India. Um, yeah, it really was wonderful. Also worth pointing out that two of his dismissals were runouts. Yeah. So it was only actually he only actually got out twice to a bowler, which is really really ridiculous um over over four innings. So yeah, I mean what more can you say? Great captaincy as well, I think. He really was the complete package in this tour. And he Nasser Hussein said on the end of day 4, you know, about Joe Root, the the person, the character and, and the kind of you know, vibe or energy is probably better words to use that he's putting through this team at the minute. And I think we spoke about before we start recording, you know, the interviews that people are giving, you know, your siblings, your besties who are quite honest, quite open, but in a good way, they're not, they're not too reckless. Um, and it's a likable team at the minute. And I think that all comes from Joe Root's captaincy and the stamp he's got on this team now. Um, and Zach, you know, we'll come to his batting a bit. You know, he's obviously the best player of spin in England's team, right? And I think at the minute and then the question is is he our best ever player of spin um that england's ever produced i mean in that one innings of 186 he passed boycott peterson and gower in england's overall um run scoring and he's only got cook to look at now and will he get past cook zach do you reckon cook's twelve thousand odd runs that that's my main question wow i mean if he keeps scoring at least 150 in each test match <laughs> then he's going to get past Cook before, well, not before the end of the year, but before we can, <laughs> you know, before we can say 12,000 runs. But yeah, I mean, will he get past Cook? I don't know, but still, he's a fantastic player and he's only he's only just 30. So he's got, you know, at least three more years. And if England keep playing, you know, 15 test matches, I mean, three more years is an absolute minimum. What's, the, what's happened to him? The... What's happened in three more years? Does he break a leg, break both legs? Come on, Zach, he's got... For my money, he's got eight more years. That's just a random number I've picked out again. He hasn't been captain for them either. Uh, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's if he can continue after being captain, because they say captains seem to have a bit of a lifespan, don't they? You don't sure. captain England for much more than five years and you know and keep your head. But yeah, because, well, Cook, everyone says Cook could have gone on and could have got more runs, but left on a high, and we've, we've debated this before. Will Root decide to leave on a high? I hope he. I hope he doesn't leave on a high anytime soon, but you never know. We might. We might beat the Aussies five 0 and he decides I'm never going to get any better than that. Off I go. I think I'd do the same if 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 I beat the Australians as captain five 0 down under. And this this whole series really, and you know, we'll talk about the second test in the series as a whole, has been defined from an England perspective from their senior players, and you can see. You see the difference in quality, don't you? When when we debut young players in England, they're used to it and they can suddenly become amazing. But it's when you put them in alien conditions like in the subcontinent, which they struggle a little bit and which is fine because they're all still learning. But then you see Anderson, Broad, Root, 
just showing how class they are. And that brings you on to Jimmy Anderson, who's six for 40 in that first innings was outrageously good, taking off exactly where brought, taking off from Broad, who was economical, you know, metronomic in where he's landing the ball. Anderson did the same and he's not played for a long time. Um, bowled 29 overs. Just the senior players showing their class, Glenn, and it, it sort of carried England through this and allowed them to win this test while the younger players would have their little moment. These guys just held the team together, didn't they? Oh, without a doubt. So um, Anderson actually took the best figures by a seamer, age 38 or above in test cricket for 107 years. So really, really impressive stuff. Um, what it does, Dan, is it begs the question, is it wrong to continue this policy of playing Anderson or Broad um, on uh, tours abroad? Or do we play them both because they're both in so much form? I think that is the question that's come out of this test. And it is really interesting, isn't it, how you've put it so nicely. The senior players, in my opinion, excelled um, in this two-game series. So, yeah, in, in a way, I think a lot of us were getting ready to see the young players really do well on this and get some big scores and get wickets. But in fact, as you said, it really was the experience of Broad, Anderson, and then you look at the runs, Butler's got experience. Obviously, Captain Root has been playing Test cricket for years. Yeah, so I think it begs the question, is, is there still the case to leave them both out, um, to leave one of them out, or is there the argument to play both? Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a difficult one and it's going to be, it's been debated to death already and it's going to be debated to death, you know, until until they both retire, it's going to be something that's debated. How can we manage them? And they keep saying that they're, you know, stop trying to like, you know, kind of stop trying to manage us. Like we're, we're, we're feeling better than we ever have done. Uh, we just want to play test cricket and it would be really difficult to not play both of them in that first test in India because they're, they were both our best they were our best two seamers in the in in the series so you know i know obviously we you want the different options on a maybe a turning pitch a flat pitch it's not it's not going to be the ideal conditions for them but we've said with their experience their experience is that they are they can play on any pitch which is something that a lot of people have doubted that they can do throughout their careers especially with there's the debate of uh, is is Anderson the greatest seamer ever? And obviously people say he can only take wickets in England. But, yeah, I mean, he took six of 40, like you said, in this. I don't think he can only take wickets in England. <laughs> yeah, it was nice to have that myth finally um, sort of put to one side. And then amongst that, people bringing out his average away from home, which was something like, I think it's something like 29. Uh, uh, and, it, you know, he's not just doing it on green seamers in, in Yorkshire, is he? Absolutely. And th this is really interesting. Again, I think we really need to think about investing in a statistician for, for this pod. Yeah, we need absolutely. a stato in the corner. It's usually basically Zach, but we need a professional one. Because <laughs> what's really interesting is Anderson took uh, six wickets, right, in, obviously in the first Sri Lanka innings, yet he only bowled two overs in the second Sri Lanka innings. So I'd love to know how many times that's happened. It would have been funny, obviously, if he hadn't bowled anything in that second yeah. innings, because... <laughs> We had a really interesting divide whereby it was Seam um, getting all the wickets, obviously, in that first innings um, for England when they were bowling. And then it was Spin getting all 10 of the wickets in the um, in the second Sri Lanka innings. So that was really, really interesting to see. Uh, and one stat about that, it was the first time <laughs> that, uh, that, that all 10 wickets have been taken by Seam since the 90s when it was... Uh... Uh, Wakar Yunus and Wazi Makram taking the wickets for Pakistan, which obviously, you well, know, they they can take wickets anywhere. So fair enough. Well, there you go, Zach. You, you just you just put yourself in the shop window for a chief statistician at, at Cow Corner. Yeah, we, we, we got to look at your pay packet now. That, that kind of stuff's great. And that was the first time in test history that 
10 wickets, 10 wickets were taken by seam and then 10 wickets were taken by spin, which is amazing in test history. Um, you don't often get that. So yeah, these senior players were awesome. And it's such an interesting one about Broad and Anderson because before this series, I'd have said, no, absolutely not. There's no, there's no time and place for that. Rotate them. One of them is perfect. But the way their economy was so low on these flat pitches because they're so consistent with their line and length and the sort of, I don't want to say ineffectiveness of Wood because I thought we had a really good test match again, but at least the ineffectiveness of Curran suggests that you probably could play both and have them hold an end. You know, they did a really good holding role and I think that's something they can do in India. Um, we'll have to see about that. I, I doubt England will do that. Um, and Mark Wood had a good game. Um, the relief on his face when he when he took his first wicket after toiling away at the fore end. He broke Chandamal's kneecap, I think. It, it hit him that hard. Um he toiled very hard. So I think England's bowling altogether was very good. Let's have a quick look at the spinners now we're on to bowling. Um, and Alex has messaged us um, asking, has this series offered an effective judgment on the ability of Leach and Bess? Um, he suggests that sterner tests of weight and good figures may have flattered um, because of the bad batting. Could Moeen offer more control and experience or do good figures equal good performance? I think is the key question here. For either of you, do Leach and Bess's figures, which are pretty good um, across this series, suggest to you it was a good performance? Because we have to put in context the two Sri Lankan collapses. I I don't think it's as simple as, as good performances to equal good figures, because I think it was at one point in the first innings of this second test where it seemed like Leach and Bess had the most control they, they had throughout the series. They didn't, they didn't bowl particularly badly in the second innings. But again, like we said, there was just, it was Sri Lankan batting collapses, gifting their wickets. And I can't see, you know, I can't see Indian batsmen doing the same thing, gifting their wickets like that in big, in droves. Like they, you know, they, they did take no, no wickets in that first innings. Like we've said, will Moeen give more control? I don't think Moeen really would give more control. Moeen's, everyone keeps talking about Moeen coming back for the India series, but Moeen's record in India is actually really poor. His, his average in India is about 60 with the ball. His average with the bat is pretty good. So, you know, he, he does, he will offer more than Bess and Leach with the bat. That's for sure. But he, I don't think he'll offer any control and will, well, you know, I can see, will, will Hardik Pandya just hit him for six sixes in and over? <laughs> don't bring that into my head. That That's petrifying. <laughs> Um, Glenn, what, what do you think on this question? You know, was this series good enough for us to have a good judgment on these two now? Or is there still a lot of work for them to do? I mean, there's obviously a lot of work for them to do. But have we gauged enough from their bowling? Because it was so hot and cold. Um, you know, a couple of non-furs, a couple of spells where they couldn't control the length and the line versus a five for each and then two four-furs. It, it's really quite tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question from Alex. And I think it really gets to the crux of this problem, which is how are they going to do in India? And I think discussing the team for India is something we're going to really focus on for our preview pod, which we'll be recording early next week. But just looking, obviously, at the figures for this Sri Lanka um, match, and especially the, the first Sri Lanka innings in the, in the second test, there still was a real lack of maidens. So best bowled 26 overs, only two maidens. Leach, I mean, I'd say fractionally better, but I mean, that's probably generous. He bowled 38 overs for only five maidens. And a point that Jonathan Aggie makes, and we've made on this pod um, repeatedly, is that in India, 
you're going to need to build pressure. There will not be batsmen in India throwing their wickets away, as Zach rightly said, the way that the Sri Lankans did. I mean, their batting at times across the two tests was utterly disgraceful. Um, it was just appalling at test level to see some of these shots. And we will talk about that in a couple of minutes, I'm sure. But you won't get those those freebies. Um so what that means is you're not going to get free wickets, so you've got to create the pressure, right? You've actually got to build a wicket for yourself over 10 overs. You're not going to come on, bowl two overs, get a wicket or two because the batsmen don't care. Um, and so in that sense, to try and answer part of Alex's question, no, we haven't seen enough from this test because the conditions are going to be different. India clearly are a much stronger side. We've seen that across the Australia series. They bat deep as well. Um, especially depending on the team they put out, they could have batting right down to the eight nine mark. So it's it's become it's a really strange thing. I feel much more secure about strangely Anderson and Broad playing in those conditions yeah. than we do about the two spinners. And if you just looked at wickets, it was a wildly successful um, tour for Bess and Leach. If you look purely at that, but as we all know, that does not tell the story, and that doesn't correlate to necessarily to success in India. On the maidens thing, which I think is an interesting point, we want our spinners to build control. Embledinia in England's first innings, he got seven for 137, only bowled six himself, and would agree he was the best bowler out of Sri Lanka uh, this whole series. And then Lakmal, the seamer, bowled seven, who didn't take any wickets. And we're sort of seeing that with our pace bowlers as well. They're the ones who in the control, and when it counts in the fourth innings on, on day four or five, the spinners are, are doing their job. So for me, on whether we've seen enough of, of Leach and Bess, I think we have. I think we know there's something there. Whether it's there all the time, I think you know they're still doing a lot of learning. I hope this series, and it definitely has probably taught them a lot about how they bowl, how to bowl in these conditions, and hopefully they can kick on from there. But on the maiden thing, it's definitely an issue, but being able to compare against Sri Lanka, I don't think it was too bad. Um, can I just add one more point? Um, do you think the Embledenia's counter-attack, especially against Leach, where he really did pick him up and, and hoik him out of the ground a couple of times, do you think that that's a cause for worry? Because, again, it's a, it's a bit of a different circumstance. Clearly, he he, he knows he can, in a, in a way, hit out because there's no one mm. else left with him. But for me, watching it live, and this isn't necessarily criticism at all of, 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 of Bess or Leach especially, who I'm focusing on, it did seem a bit too easy for the number 10, I want to say, to really hit him around. It didn't seem to take any effort. And again, it really felt for me how badly the rest of the Shankans did at that in that innings. But what do you think, Zach? Yeah, I completely agree. It did seem it was quite easy for Leach. Like, I love Leach, but he did seem to, as soon as kind of Embledinia hit one of those shots, he seemed to kind of lose a bit of control. And it, it kind of seemed like it was, you know, he'd struggled to find his length. And then as soon as someone hits him, he loses it again. So that's, that is something, that's a really good point, Glenn. And I think it's something that we, like we should be really worried about because have we seen like have we seen enough to know we know there's something there like you said Dan but do we know we can rely on them consistently I don't think we do I'm I'm not I'm not too worried about it boys I, I, I it's it was a number 10 swinging from the hip I think what made it more of an issue is that every run Sri Lanka got on a dust bowling goal we were like oh god are we gonna be able to chase this down that was the issue and I think you know Ashton Agar's done it to, to Graham Swan. You know, Graham Swan, one of our best spinners. Ashton Agar, where's he now in test cricket? It was just a moment. It was just a swing from the hip. I acknowledge it that, and I think it, it, it speaks deeper to Leach, Leach's slight inconsistency to control, you know, line and length and, and, and stuff like that. Maybe he should have chucked a few more by his eye line and really tempt him. But I don't know. It's not a massive problem for me. 
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. There's one more thing, and again, this isn't necessarily meant as any disrespect to the Sri Lankan batsmen, but how many of those batsmen, say in current form, let's just hold short selection for a moment, but on current form, how many of these batsmen do you think really are at that elite tier? I mean, apart from Matthews, who's done it time and time again, not many of them, not with with their form and the way they did approach the games. I mean, they had, you've got a lot of, you, what, what I guess I'm trying to say is a lot of the Sri Lankan batsmen came into this series out of Nick and left it even more out of Nick. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see them play some really, really confident Indian players in India. It's going to be really difficult. I think we all can agree on that. It's, it's going to be fascinating as well, isn't it? And I think, I hope, I hope from this that Leach and Bess have just learned how to use these conditions. Um, you know, that I, what I do like is they're good when it is spinning. That's mm-hmm. the important thing. You're not you're not after yeah. your spinner to do too much when it isn't spinning because what are they going to do when it does spin? They showed up, so that that is a good thing and um, it's a fascinating one and a lot of a lot of challenges ahead against that formidable India batting lineup, which which scares me just thinking about it. I don't know about you boys. Um, let's come on to the batting then because we had a a slightly chaotic chat about what was going on with England's batting uh, in the last uh, review part of the first test. Uh, firstly, you know, let's all take a deep breath before we get into this. And are we in a place now <laughs> after this second test where we can confidently say anything about these top three? I'm going to start us off with Dom Sibley. Uh, Dom finds a way, Sibley. I'd like to call him now. That could be his new middle name. Um, he found a way in the end. A lot of credit to him. He's gone away and worked on his batting with Jack Callis. Um, his partnership with Butler won us that, that second test. Um, and a great stat. And I'll come to you on this, Zach, because you've been shaking your head vigorously while I've been talking about um, young Sibley. Uh, since his debut, he's faced 2,048 deliveries, uh, which is the most in that period uh, out of any opener and third overall. And this is the finds a way element to Dom Sibley. He's, he's not the prettiest. He's not the most fluent, but he has on a number of occasions now found a way. And the fact for me that he could do it day four in a chase in Gaul showed a lot of character and a lot of skill more importantly going forward what's your view on on the Sibley situation yeah I really I really liked Dom Sibley especially after his thing or or the vicar of Sibley as Bumble calls him (laughs) which I I absolutely love um he really he gave a really good interview after the was one of these interviews that we mentioned at the beginning of the pod about um being really frank and he said that he just he he felt like he was in a good place when he came to Sri Lanka, and he felt like his batting he'd worked uh, on playing spin, and that he felt he, he felt confident. And then obviously three innings in, and he hadn't he hadn't made it to double figures, meant that he then made an adjustment mid tour, which you know it, it takes some courage to make an adjustment in the middle of a test match to you know change. And he got his fifty six not out, which you know is a good score, and it did win us the test match, even though forty one of them were singles. And obviously, if you watch any of Dom Sibley, he loves a little dab into the leg side. (laughs) And they let him do that a lot. They had a short leg and then they had deep square leg. Dom Sibley isn't, you know, he he hit a couple of sweeps, but he's not going to he's not going to smack a sweep out to deep deep square leg. And he had they had a deep point and he's not going to he's not going to reverse sweep or he's not going to do an elaborate cut, is he? Like it, It seemed a bit silly. It seemed like they hadn't watched the. He hadn't watched much of him batting, which, you know, but credit where credit's due, the option was there to score the singles on the leg side. And he took it. Like you said, he finds a way and he, he found a way in this innings. Yeah, just two points to make. Totally agree with you, Zach. Number one, uh, re- I really wish I could credit this to someone. It came up on the on our Twitter feed. But if Sibley had got under, I think it was 35 runs in that final innings, it would have been the lowest ever average for England openers since the uh, 1900s 
which is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, I should have favorited poor it. it old, poor really old was. Dom. Really, that would have been really, really rough. So, in a way, Sibley's innings rescued not only himself, but him and Crawley as an opening pair, which is very yeah. interesting. Um, he was lucky. Obviously, I think it was three, if not more, um, reviews that were umpires call in a very similar position, doing the thing, how he always gets out. Yeah, it was fractional, absolutely fractional. So, you could say that he played himself in back into the side in a way, but he had a huge slice of luck in that. If the umpire had given one of them out, I think he would have been walking. So, yeah, I, I liked his resolve. We liked his fortitude. I think we're, that was one of the biggest highlights of the the game for me was to wake up and see that Sibley was still there and won them the game. That was as good a feeling as as best or Leach getting Fifa in terms of bringing confidence to India. However, Crawley has an average of 8.75 a uh, high score of 13. Uh, he only got 35 runs across four innings, which is miserable. And it's not as if we obviously want to single out and really criticise any individual on the team. But through this lens of looking at the top three, I think he really does stand out as, as the weaker point. Again, if Sibley had got naught in that final innings, we'd be saying it for him as well. So don't get me wrong. Neither of them, if you look at, across the two games, neither of them filled me with confidence whatsoever. Uh, do we agree on that? Zach, what do you reckon? Yeah, I agree on that. And it's interesting that you say, because we would have, we would have singled out Sibley more than Crawley if Sibley had got a single figure score, even mm -hmm. though Crawley hasn't done yeah. anything. I think it does. Mm -hmm. It definitely talks to the fact that Crawley looks better. He looks yeah. more fluent. Like we've said, Sibley gets it done, but he doesn't look pretty. Whereas Crawley always looks like he's going to score the runs. He always looks like he's on for a big one. And, you know, obviously we've, we saw him score 250 in the, in the summer, but he hasn't done it in this in this series. A couple of silly mis dismissals. Embledinia, you know, had to had just had him basically, like he did a few of our batsmen. But yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit worried about Zach Crawley, but I feel like I was a bit worried about him. And then he hit you know 250 odd in the summer because <laughs> he hadn't he hadn't got a Test hundred. So yeah, will he? I don't think I don't think he'll be dropped. I think he's kind of just you know got his place for a while now, even though he. You know, even though he's been terrible in this series, well, what do you think about that, Dan? It's a really interesting one. I think he's slightly riding off the back of that 250. I don't know. Is that cruel to say that? Because I like him, and I think you make a great point, Zach, that because he is the most, the more aesthetically pleasing batsman out of the two, that Sibley gets a bit more stick, which is why he did that. That you know, really gritty 50 not out was so valuable, and I think what it's done is made people appreciate what Sibley can bring to this team and what he will bring for a long time, I think. Uh, but on Crawley, um, I think he needs to take a leaf out of Sibley's book. Is, is uh, Go away, work on something in the net and just grind out a knock and get yourself some confidence back. He, he's got it in him. I still, I'm, I'm, I'm mystified as to what's going to happen in this first test uh, in India. For I'm talking top three positioning. I've got no idea because Crawley's done nothing to to say, yeah, I'm going to open in India. And then nothing to say, no, he doesn't deserve to not be in the team either because we know what he can do. It's a really confusing one. And then if we if we round off this top three debate, Lee's got in touch with the podcast. Thanks for getting in touch, Lee. He's asked, should Bairstow play red ball cricket or should he just be focusing on his white ball cricket? And now I don't know if this is in reference to Bairstow hitting it into a, a tin of white paint and turning the ball white to try and help his, his test average. Um, I don't know <laughs> if that was coincidence. But what do we think, boys, on this? Because I think it's a great point that, you know, Bester came back in at three for this test. I, I didn't like it that much at the start of the series. He did a really good job, and he's a very good player of spin. Um, is it a long-term thing? Let's talk about this in the context of him being rested as well for the first two tests in India. You know, 
Glenn, what did he do for you at three? Was it good? Was it good enough? Is it something for the future as well? Or like Lee says, should you just be focusing on white ball cricket and his Red Bull sort of tenure can end now? No, I, I think that's a great question. Um, thanks again. And totally, it's a difficult one. I, I, I honestly think he really impressed me at number three. So he has an average of 46.3 um, across the across the two games, which is the third best for England's top six. So very well. It was only Root and Butler who had um, averages ahead of him. What was a shame is that he couldn't convert any of his great starts into a proper score. Um, his high score was 47. Really disappointed because had he... Not necessarily three figures, but had he hit maybe two 80s instead of two 40s, that really would have taken everyone's eyes towards him. In a way, he played a very innocuous and in a way forgettable role in comparison to the horror at the top of the order and then the brilliance of Rue. I think he got forgotten in the middle. Not only that, because... Uh, in addition, uh, Dan Lawrence got a really a decent big score on his first um, in his first innings. That's seventy three, and then he obviously saw England home in the in the second innings of the first game. So, I feel I feel a bit bad for Johnny Bairstow because he kind of got lost got lost in the rest of the uh, in the rest of the batters. But to answer your question, um, yes, he played well. Yes, he should be part of the test team, especially on India. And no, he shouldn't be on a flight home um, unless he is requested some personal time, which is totally justifiable and no problem with that whatsoever. I couldn't be in these bubbles, don't get me wrong, but I think he's hungry to play test cricket and I think he's being repeatedly treated badly by the selectors and England. Yeah, and we'll come on to the sort of bubble life and the rotation that Ed Smith having to go through toward the end of the pod because it's an important point, but he was such a calming figure for this team in the, as you said, Glenn, the madness at the top. We were, sorry, England were you know, 5 for 2, 14 for 2, 20 for 2 on, on pretty much in every innings. And he came in, and whether it was his, his quick 29 or his 50, just calmed everything down, put a partnership together with Root, and we'd find England would find themselves 80, 100 for two, and they'd go on from there. And he was so valuable, and I think he's in our top three players of spin. Uh, you know, let's put Stokes and Root in there with him. And he was fantastic, and he, and he you know, did what he set out to do at the start of the, the series and, and, and prove himself, really. And, and then he's now rested for these two tests. We, we we expect him to come back in for those last two, but what does that leave England with in the top three, Zach, for the first test against India? I don't I don't want to become a total preview podcast, but with Burns coming back, for me, it looks like it's going to be Burns, Sibley, Crawley, and I don't like that too much. I think that could be a twenty for three job again. You know the the Gary Balance era of England cricket, which we try to forget. Well, yeah, I think it could. It, what they could also do is maybe push Lawrence up to three, because otherwise Lawrence isn't going to have a place. And he kind of showed that he was a decent player of spin. But yeah, like Glenn said, he, you know, Lawrence gets way more headlines than the best. Though, even though Lawrence hit three and two in this test, but just because he got that one knock, I think the the thing with him getting sent home for these not get sent home, you know, uh, rested for these two tests and then coming back shows kind of to do with Lee's question again that. England think he should focus more on white ball cricket than red ball cricket, which is understandable. He's a very key part. He was a key part of the World Cup winning squad, key part of any of our plans going forward. I think it does show that England think of him, well, they definitely think of him as more of a white ball player and they want to make sure that he's ready and in a good place for the white ball stuff, even though he himself loves playing test cricket and really wants to make it at the test level. Yeah, it's a tricky one again. I can't wait to see what England do, you know, with him and that top three. Um, but yeah, good for 
find a way Sibley. Let's call it that. That could be his little his little pod name. Now I did think that link that up on the Sky commentators. Um, you know, let's quickly go through the rest of the England team before we move on to looking at Sri Lanka. I thought Curran had an okay series. He was way too high at number seven. He his defense is. He's not a defensive batsman, and you know it seemed way too quick for him to be in. He couldn't defend. Butler looks in great nick, and his glove work was exemplary this this entire series. Um, he just looks in, in great nick. He's averaging, I think, over over fifty now for his last twelve innings. So you know a sustained bit of form from Joss Butler, um, who will be rested after the first test in India. But he looked fantastic, and then, like I said, Mark Wood did a lot of work and good for him and he's getting himself a rest before India. So let's come on to Sri Lanka who had a, a tough series, uh, basically two days of total head loss that cost them this really. And they fought hard for the rest of it. And if we look at that first innings, you know, Matthews is 110, Dick Weller's 92, which I think we all agree. Well, I'll ask you both. Did you want to see him get a ton in that? I, I quite like Dick Weller. I love Dick Weller. I think he's he's great. His his chirps were were brilliant as well. Yeah, it was it, it was perfectly. He found the perfect line. It wasn't you know it wasn't anywhere near as like what Tim Payne was saying. It was just you know asking Joe Root for one of his bats, and it was great. And then he asked Dom Sibley whether he thought he was going to be opening in India, and Sibley said, "Not sure. I haven't had a very good series, have I?" <laughs> Which is great fun, and he's that's really unlucky because he's another he's another Asian wicketkeeper who I'm very fond of who hasn't got a Test century as neither does Mohamed Rizwan. Both both have 90s, but both don't have test centuries. And I hope both of them get test centuries very soon. And if you want to join Zach's uh, Asian wicketkeeper fan group, uh, you're more than welcome. There's probably a Twitter page for that somewhere. Um, Glenn, <laughs> let's, let's, let's come on to the batting because and you kind of mentioned how woeful it was. Um, I, I went to bed on, you know, before day four started thinking, right, this, this test on a knife edge here. Uh, Leach and Anderson were in. And they were going to have they were going to have a lead of forty odd, and they did have that lead of forty four. And then I woke up and they were bowled out for one hundred and twenty six. It, it was outrageous. And if you think and if you look at that pitch, all they needed was another fifty, maybe seventy five, a hundred. And I feel like I'm echoing myself from the first uh, review pod now. And if that first innings they got was another fifty, sixty, they're making England work really hard in that fourth innings, and they just didn't do it. And you know I think Chandamal has to be sort of looked over for that because he gave his wicket away again good bit good bit of chatter from joe root asking him to do that and he did but it was just terrible batting and i don't quite know what's going through their heads there was just no application or ability to play a test innings with you know an english side batting on a day four or five goal pitch just be sensible and get yourself 200 what happened what's going wrong there you know what? I I'm glad I'm not, I wasn't in the dressing room with with Mickey Arthur afterwards. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that because if you take away um, Denia's explosive, wonderful innings, who got 40 runs, suddenly they have 100. They have they have 86. Um, the batsmen together, Lakmal got 11 as well. Suddenly the top order batsmen barely got 70 between them. I mean, at home in a test you can win. I, I think they're pretty. They were burned in in South Africa. Um, I think we we mentioned that beforehand, and I think that psychological damage went deep. I just don't think they believe they can win a game because, goodness me, when England were um, when England were all out, and then obviously as you just mentioned, rightly so, that Sri Lanka came in with a slim lead. Uh, I thought Sri Lanka were going to win it, mm -hmm. um, and. I, I still think England did exceptionally well to chase those runs, and you're spot on. I mean, I genuinely thought I thought 175 would be enough for for um, Changa to win it. I was wrong. Um, uh, England did exceptionally well to chase it, as I just mentioned. But 
there is no excuse in your second innings to be bowled out playing those woeful shots. It's as if they learned nothing from the first test. And what you've got is you've got two you've got two competitive games that have been basically ruined by two terrible innings. Obviously, one in each in each match. And yeah, it was it was rough. I mean, they struggled at number three. There was that poor bloke that got a hundred consecutive ducks or whatever it was, and he, he managed to get five runs and got thrown off the team. His replacement. <laughs> Fernando did even worse. He averaged even less than that other guy. It was just a, it was like a carousel of terrible batsmen, um, and just a really really atrocious shot selection. We cannot stress that enough. How watching it live, your mouth was just dropping because it would. I mean, that these shots would be bad for an ODI. They'd be pretty you know unforgivable even in a T20 in a run chase, and they just didn't give their bowlers any help whatsoever. And it feels like you know Imboldenia carried the bowling. I, I was we'll get onto it in a second. I was pretty underwhelmed with the Sri Lankan uh, bowling, which makes me think: is this just a particularly poor Sri Lankan team? Because I don't like their bowling. I think their batting was horrific. Uh, fielding, I'm fine, so so. But yeah, I just come away from this series feeling that Sri Lanka could have beaten us, and they decided they couldn't be bothered, and they just threw it in the trash. It was really, really disappointing. Well, I came into this series with that view that this wasn't a good team, um, and it, they they proved it. And then, I mean, let let's let's be more positive for a second, Zach, and talk about Embledenia, who is awesome. Absolutely love him. You know, a big big shoes to fill. He's only a small man, but Rangana Harath taking <laughs> over from him is fairly huge, and he looked fantastic. He had the quicker one that trapped batsmen, ones that would spin. You know, right-handed batsmen were really struggling against him. 10 wickets in the match, a vital 40 in that second innings to make England's chase even slightly competitive. You know, a few words on him and, and the bright spark from Sri, Lanka's, from Sri Lanka's pretty poor series. Yeah, what a player. Like, yeah, you say he, he used the new ball really well as well, which is something you don't say that much for a spinner because he got the ones that would, that would um, grip and turn and then there was the one that skidded on because, like, it skids on more with the newer ball. And that was those that was brilliant and it worked perfectly. It was just a bit of natural variation. What a player. I, I've got a little question for you guys. How many Embaldenias would you have in your team or would they have in this Sri Lanka team if you could close, if you could clone Embaldenia? Four? More, maybe? I I, th- I think four. If I had an Embaldenia cloning machine and you'd have him from 11 up and then you've got four Embaldenias and then the tail isn't too long then either because I thought you batted quite well. Would you would you have one as a specialist batsman? Because obviously he did top <laughs> score in that second. It's my kind of question. Would you have one as a specialist batsman? Obviously you need one to bowl each end and then maybe an extra one in case one gets injured. No, I'd just have a straight up four all at the bottom of the order and then just rotate them. Just have just no one else bowls but Embaldenia and then just hope for the best. I, I think. I don't I think opening one's a little bit bold. He's better than Tiramani anyway. I know he got a ton, but that average of eighteen, I'm sorry. I think Zach is a good question. I mean, yeah, quite a few. I'd say, um, yeah, you'd at least want one at each end, so minimum two and probably up to four. Yeah, he was such a such a step above everybody else in this team, and he out he outspun England as well. Um, so really, really good stuff. Yeah, I'm really interested to see. He hasn't actually played a white ball game for Sri Lanka, and they've got quite a lot of T20s and ODIs, but not much Test cricket this year because obviously it's the T20 World Cup and it's a bit of an issue with the game that there's a bit of an imbalance in the amount of Test Cricket Nations play, which is a topic for another podcast. But yeah, he, he's 
he's only played 11 list A games, but he's got an economy of 4.47 in that time, which obviously is, is pretty good. I love me a good Dan, economy. Oh, I, I love me a good economy. I'm already, I'm already into that. He's got all the makings for it, though, right? He's got the quicker one, and if it's spinning, he's got one that spins, and he's got the control. So I don't see why not, and even for those T20s. Exactly that. And obviously, I brought that economy stat in just for you, Thank Dan. Thank you, man. You'd love that. that. <laughs> in, my sort of dream, play... in my sort of dream spinners of economy in a white ball game, I'd have Axar Patel, Washington. Let's put Embolinia in there now. He's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did only play one game in the Lanka Premier League, which is a bit disappointing. He only bowled three overs for 24, which isn't great. But maybe maybe he'll get more of a chance. And he did play for the, for the only team that didn't qualify for the uh, finals because... <laughs> Uh, like in the big, well, not like in the big bash. In the LPL, there's five teams and four qualify for the semi-finals. Well, that's a shame. Well, let's hopefully see more of him, but he's definitely made a name for himself. And I think, you know, Dick Weller's a good player and Matthew showed his class. I think Chandler's got a lot of work to do on his bat. He self-confessed, by the way, he said this in his post-match report. Um, his batting needs some work and his captaincy wasn't very good. You know, to not be able to bowl an England side out on day four in, on a dust bowl, I think was disappointing. And he gave, he gave Sibley his 50. And again, we credit Sibley and we've mentioned it, but I think his captain team is pretty poor. Uh, so altogether pretty poor for them. They go to the West Indies pretty soon for a full tour of white ball and red ball cricket. So if you've enjoyed some of Sri Lanka, which I think we all have, some Embodinias and Digwella, keep your eye out for that. And we'll see how they get on in the West Indies against a side that's probably, you know, more level with their quality. That I'd say West Indies is probably a bit better at the minute, but keep an eye out for that. Um, so as we wrap this one up, boys, let, let's have another look at England and look ahead very briefly um, to that India tour. So the news announced that um, Mark Wood, Johnny Bairstow and Sam Curran will be going home rested. Uh, a block of rest, they call this, for the first two test matches. And Joss Butler will go home for that block of rest after the first test match. Um, there's been a lot of chat uh, around you know, cricket media since that, that announcement has been made and since the end of this test on whether this is a good thing or not. And I think Ed Smith has come out and defended it, and rightly so. He's got a lot to juggle right now with um, the World T20, the Ashes, and then bubble life as well. We've, we've got to try and remember that these these people are in quite strange quarantine conditions all the time. So I just want to know what you boys think of this whole thing and how the ECB are doing it and whether it's the right thing. I think everyone's in agreement that giving blocks of rest to players is obviously very important at this time to be with their family um, and just to give them a rest. It's, it seems to be the timing of who and where that, that's, that's given a few people some annoyance. And then the, the best one being the most important one there. A good series against Sri Lanka. He could hop on a plane over to Chennai now uh, and play that first few tests. But no, he's going home for a bit to come back. What, what do we think on that? And what do we think of this situation for England and what Ed Smith's doing? Juggling, playing and resting players. I think one one interesting part of it is that's really annoyed me is all of the... Is all of the uh, maybe traditionalists who want obviously want us to play a good team in the test match and they they then talk about how well obviously best and butler are going to then go and play in the ipl like as if the ipl doesn't doesn't help any player and won't you know if our players do well in the ipl won't help them prepare for the t20 world cup for england which as we've said is probably the you know it's definitely at least second on the priority list for this year so i i, I that really annoys me i do agree that they need blocks of rest the Butler one makes sense because he does, does need to go. He needs a, a good rest before the white ball stuff because he'll come back for that. And it was kind of worked out that with quarantine periods, two tests wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't going to make sense for him to have a, that gap. So three tests, it gives an opportunity to 
I think Ben Folks it'll be who will wicket keep in the, at least the second test. But uh, yeah, the, like you said, the Bearstow one's the big one because he's you know he's just done well. He should surely just keep playing. I'd be interested to know whether they talk to the players about this and whether the players do actually have something to say about it. You get the feeling that with the Archer and Stokes being given a rest for the Sri Lanka for this Sri Lanka tour, that it was you know they were involved in this decision because they'd spent so much time in bubbles. But I wonder whether they said to Bearstow, "Well, like, come on, we need to give you a block of rest. When do you want this block of rest?" Or whether he, they just said to him, "Right, you're you're gone for these first two tests," but then obviously he would then be available for the summer when he probably won't be picked by England. Like it's a, it is a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, and I think on the Bearstow one, it makes sense because he'll play the two tests and probably go into the IPL. I love your point about the IPL, by the way. I think people get way too caught up on that and they want to prioritise that over English cricket. I'm not. I, I don't think that's the case. And we want our players in the IPL. Um, we've seen how much they've improved because of it. Um, I said this just before we started recording, Glenn, but with the grand picture for England right now, with an away tour to India, the T20 World Cup, and then an away Ashes, this series probably, I don't like to say it because it is such an event, comes third in, in that pecking order. So it, is it the right time to do this now and give the players a rest with more high-priority events coming up? <laughs> Yeah, I, I hope Will's not listening. If he is, just turn it off. <laughs> Sorry, the pod's Will. ended, Will. Every Indian fan, the pod's ended. Uh, yeah, I think we have two mammoth events after this. In in a you know normal kind of quotation marks calendar, this would be the marquee event. And to me, strangely enough, I'm way more excited for this than probably the Ashes. I'm sick of the Aussies. I'm really excited to see how England do in India. So for my kind of personal hype level, so to speak, is, is very high. I think the World Cup, you've got to put a number one. And then once again, Zach, I think you make a really good point. There's this there's this binary, you know, place between IPL or England. And I think you're right to say the IPL makes England players better. And would um, India have chased those runs, as we mentioned on the pod, um, in Australia without the IPL? No chance. Of course they wouldn't have. They're not used to it. So the IPL has a positive impact, I think, on World cricket, I think a lot of young people watch it and get excited, and I think it does have a positive impact on our own national players. So if you include IPL in that kind of you know framework of massive events, that's up in there as well. So unfortunately, and it does feel ridiculous to say this, and I think all three of us uh, would, would take this view, that yeah, unfortunately, India is that one. And one point I would say is that... <sighs> Uh, why weren't players rested potentially for the Shanka series and then come into the India one? Doesn't that feel like a series that was probably better to give Butler a rest potentially and a couple of others? That's my that's my criticism of the planning right now. Um, there's no perfect answer. Silverwood came out in the press today to defend it and say, listen, we have a difficult situation. It's a pandemic. You've mentioned, it might have been off air, that um, you know these players have lives you know families kids parents um who are probably quite old some of the parents and you know it's it's a worry for everyone when they can't see parents right now so it's it's not a clear-cut situation i just feel like it feel i feel like sri lanka was the series unfortunately to try and rotate some of that rest and i think they slightly messed up there yeah that that's an interesting point then and then my counter to that though is you know, do you want Butler coming in raw, effectively, not playing on a subcontinent pitch for as long as he has? It's, it's such a juggling act. I think the ECB yep. is doing a very good job. And we're lucky just to have any cricket right now, right? And we're one of the luckier nations with, with you know, the resources that allow us to fly players back and forth on chartered flights. And they're doing the best job they can. And this is probably a, a discussion for, for our preview pod uh, for that series as well, as things start to develop from that. Uh, but I think that'll about wrap it up for this pod. Um, it's been a great series between Sri Lanka and England. Great test match cricket, despite 
the Sri Lankan collapses. But, you know, as a, from an England point of view, I guess that was quite fun to see occasionally. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, like I said, we'll be back with the preview pod for the England-India uh, series very soon and also a complete review of the BBL, uh, which we'll be finishing very soon as well. So, Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Dan. And Glenn, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Yeah, great chat. Thank you both so much. And we will see you soon as well. Thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.